0: Hey everyone it is nick bradley here welcome to scale back episode two with my good friend mark drager how are you today mark i am amazing <laughs> you are amazing here we go so for those of you who are tuning in for the first time this is as i said the second episode of scale back that mark and i have done this is our more relaxed episode of the month I'm not going to teach you how to do EBITDA multiples and compound your interest rates to buy companies. We might get on the, into that, but I doubt
1: it. As, as um, interesting as that all sounds.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? We're going to get out spreadsheets. No, I'm not doing that. Uh, I haven't got like a crazy guest on talking about how you can move your whole um, paradigm towards keto diets. <laughs> I haven't got any of those people on today, uh, or billionaires, because I had a billionaire on last week, which was cool. We can talk about that. Uh, this. This show is really just about us going backwards and forwards on things happening in the world of business and entrepreneurship. Uh, We have a few themes that we're going to talk about and some news that's hit the press recently. Uh, We also have for the first time some Q and A, some questions that have come in from listeners uh, and we are going to uh, go and answer those together later in the show. But before we do that, it is the Christmas show, Mark.
1: Yes. Yeah, Christmas we be wearing... is like uh, just just a few days away. It's, it's come upon us so quickly, hasn't it? Isn't it bizarre? This, uh, you know, it's funny, like every year it
0: kind of accelerates, <laughs> this thing. But yeah, we're like three days or there, thereabouts away
1: from Christmas. Um, what are you doing? What are you doing this year? Well, so this is, this is the thing. Before COVID, when I was running my, my um, agency and things were extremely, extremely stressful, you know, seven-figure payroll. We were doing hundreds of projects a year and things were just really kind of bananas. Uh, I would always so look forward to Christmas break because we would go through, I would just take two weeks off. My kids are home for two weeks. I got four kids. I would take two weeks off and I would just desperately need the break. I don't know if you've ever felt this where you're just like, I want to unplug. And, and where, where I live here in Canada, um, it's almost like taking a break is frowned upon. You know, like- uh, Is that right? Client- culturally- Culturally, like in in August, the whole, the whole, all of corporate, all of entrepreneurship shuts down in August. And over Christmas, you you have the reason, you have an excuse not to respond to phone calls, not to respond to emails. Now, maybe it's changed again, post pandemic, but, uh, but I'm going back. I started my agency 2006. And so I would so look forward to the Christmas break because I had an excuse and a reason not to have to be on. I remember this
0: a bit. I remember yeah. this a bit. So when I was back sort of doing corporate stuff and maybe the private equity stuff to some extent, even though I was traveling a lot. There was definitely this point where the year was so frenetic and and it was kind of frowned upon to take holidays, even though yes. certainly in the UK and Australia, you get more holidays than you do in the US. I'm not sure what it's like in Canada. We can talk about it. But um, and so this idea that like everyone kind of slowed down at Christmas, you know, I still had that. Um, Feeling around it, even though what we're doing this year is a bit different to what we've done previously.
1: But, but I, I get, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's kind of a nice, just well, well spends so time here's, with friends, family. So here's the thing: a, few, a bunch of years ago, too, my wife and I decided to take a, a trip to Jamaica a few weeks after Christmas. So we shut down for I take two weeks off, and then a few weeks later, we took a week off. And I remember how much flack I got from colleagues and from coworkers, and they were like, "Weren't you just wow. on vacation?" And oh, so man. this is why I bring it up, and why this is different. Because in August, uh, in the, at the end of the summer, I took two weeks off as well. And I worked on, on the projects, the, the internal projects, the, the business projects that I was most excited about. And because I was like, I'm on vacation, and the way that I've changed my business with my clients, w- with working with entrepreneurs and coaches and consultants, um, there's just a, yeah, okay, so you take time off, like, like, no one seems in our world. The expectation is you work so hard, of course you would take time off. Of course you would take a break. Of course you would clear your head. And so the reason I say all of this is because I am so excited not to unplug for the next two weeks. I have some real passion projects that I get the chance to dig into and what work are you doing? on.
0: You gotta you gotta share that now. So give us give us the <laughs> give us the top one. So what's the one the one thing over the next so
1: let's call it the holiday season yeah. that you're really excited about? Yeah, so my friend Anthony Trucks is is uh helping oh, me cool. behind the scenes a bit. We we work oh, I love together Anthony. on a few things. He's he's amazing and we've become accountability buddies actually, which is kind of oh, cool. I don't I know if know.
0: I, to- I don't know if I'd want to be an accountability buddy with with him. Like yeah, he's so like he's ex- a massive NFL dude. Like you know, if you, if you don't player. do what he says, you he's going to come around and like, you know, arm yeah. wrestle you.
1: NFL player, <laughs> American ninja warrior contestant oh, like. God. So 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 he's my accountability buddy. We get together every two weeks. Um, and I am, I am setting up, uh, my first, um, uh, like quiz, uh, funnel, I guess not funnel, but like my first, um, yeah, like, like like we've got, we've got a score app thing where you can use it to, okay. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, you know, there's like a lot of these out there where it's simply just a, like, Oh, you're this, you're, you're a zebra, you're a unicorn, you're a peacock. No, like I want this to be actually psychologically based and I want it to add value. So he has been training me behind the scenes on on how the structures and the psychology works, and so uh, over the next two weeks I'm going to build one out, and I'm so I'm, I'm so excited about this. I know that sounds geeky, but I'm a branding guy. does sound I'm a geeky. positioning guy. I'm a marketer. I'm an entrepreneur. I am so excited to build something amazing that drives real value, and then start to get people into it. So well, product actually, on that topic, we, we're kind of
0: getting into a business thing. A business thing now before. <laughs>
1: Well, our catch but, up for our you're like but, hey, um, what would you do on vacation i'm going to build something
0: well there's a, there's, a, there's a there's a yeah we can talk about that when we when we stop talking <laughs> about you know be with your family mark drager what are you doing um i'll share what i'm doing quickly and then we can kind of get into some yeah. stuff uh so i this year we usually host christmas and um we've got this really old place in the middle of nowhere in england it's like very um idyllic and kind of like the postcard house right for a christmas thing you know and if it snows it's like even better but like every year we host we have lots of people come around and i end up cooking turkeys on barbecues and all sorts of crazy stuff and i thought you know what this year we're we're not going to do that so we're going down to um to my wife's parents place so obviously the kids grandparents and we're having christmas day down there which is just down towards london i live north of london so it's towards london and then this is the cool thing. On the twenty sixth, which is Boxing Day here, we it's are driving Boxing Day where I am as well. Oh, uh, it's not Boxing Day other places. I have to, you know, contextualize that for um, all of our international listeners. I am um, driving to the airport with my family, and we are flying back to guess where we're going,
1: Mark. Where, where would Florida. we be going?
0: Oh, yes, we're going to Florida.
1: How'd you guess? <laughs> because you only talk you only talk about about New York City. <laughs> Florida and Australia. Like if you're going to talk, uh, I mean, you do go to Vegas you, sometimes, I, sometimes you, Vegas, yeah, Vegas, and you've been to Greece and you go to, you know, the, the, the Baltic, I'm sure. And all these places and Spain yep. and Portugal and whatever, but, but you only talk about Florida, New York city. Well, we're Australia. off to Florida. We're off to Florida. Well, there's, there's,
0: there's reasons for it. I've talked a little bit about this before, but for new listeners, um, we're going back to Disney, right. And I, I think we've been, not only have we been to Disney before, I think we've been there about six times this year. Right. So it's like we've got this yeah, unnatural... in remember
1: when you and I hung out together uh, for this time. You were like, I was, you know, we were staying in, in Orlando. And I'm like, where should we meet up? And you're like, Disney Springs. <laughs> oh, there is. A, OK, so they so the, the, probably have a, car... a favorite car park at this point. It's like, are you an orange car park guy? Or no, I've got, I've got my own
0: car park with our name there, the Bradley family. no let's okay just let's let's pause on the craziness here because you know we're we're obviously enjoying our christmas festivities um no uh my wife has a business which is based around family travel i've mentioned this on the podcast beforehand so her core business is called flying with a baby because we started that when um, our first child arabella was a baby she's now 11 so that kind of we're gonna have to work on our branding mark um but we have visiting orlando with kids visiting florida with kids so We go there partly because it's content for my wife's websites, but we also do have an unnatural love for Disney. We do like going to the parks and doing stuff. And this trip, right this trip which is top
1: secret so actually if the kids the kids listen no they don't listen oh, there's yeah, a um yeah. do the do does, does the 11 year old and the eight or nine year old or you know do, do they listen to dad's podcast well of- you know
0: what happened the other day right she she goes dad are you a millionaire and i said well, where's this coming from she goes oh because i googled your net worth <laughs> so don't don't assume don't assume <laughs> she's like anyway there's a i'll, I'll do it we're, i think we're relatively safe um, There's this hotel thing called the um, galactic star cruiser or something like that. It's a star Wars. I I
1: recall you telling me about this when you booked it.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 it's people call it the star Wars hotel, but it's not really like just a a hotel. That's got like, you know, crappy beds in it that are themed like R2D2 or whatever. It's like a cosplay turn up. You have to be in character, right? Your own character. And for two days, you are on missions like proper missions like they address you as who you are and apparently it's the most cool thing if you're into star wars it's like geek out so, central so which I we all ask, are who
1: who are you who, which character are you going to arrive as well i haven't got a name yet but i've been buying all the
0: gear like i'm not going you don't go as like han solo or you don't go as any yeah. existing but character i, but I mean go-
1: i mean there's the whole universe there's a whole star wars universe so are you are you going as a certain are you uh i'm going kind of as Okay, so so if anyone's watched The
0: Mandalorian, which is awesome if you're into Star Wars, but just a great series anyway, there was a marshal in that called Cobb Cob Vanth, or Vance, I think it is, and um, he's super cool. He's like basically this kind of lawman in the middle of Tatooine. So I'm kind of going as a sort of futuristic cowboy <laughs> slash Han Solo type person. And yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stop now
1: because everyone's and, listening, thinking this. No. Guy, I
0: th- we thought Nick knew stuff, and now he's an idiot. Listen to it.
1: No, no, we're learning. We're learning all the all the weird
0: <laughs> about oh. your about your nightlife. Who's your wife going as? Do Do you know? She's going more Jedi. More Jedi. Okay. Again, okay. we haven't got the names sorted out yet. My uh, my youngest daughter, Matilda, is going literally as R2-D2. She's got a dress, an R2-D2 dress, which is cool. I- and then Arabella, who's like super into it and has been into it for ages, is going like, um, there's a character, Rey, in the more recent films. They're all sort of scavengers slash rebels. No one's going as some sort of Darth Vader. Can I,
1: can I tell you a trick that my family, we we use as internal code, but works as Star Wars names? So my, my daughter's name is uh, Rachel May Drager. So we take the first few letters from each name. So her name was Ray May Dre. And I'm Mark oh. Daniel Drager. So I was, I was Mardan, Mardan Dre. And so this is not something I saw online. This was just something where like- You the are a Drager, well. The this Drager clan, the Drager clan, it's like, we're going to take the first few letters and-, and uh, Oh God, mine know, would be, because my name is Nicholas Charles Bradley. So I'd be like Nick Chabrad. Nick, Nick Chabrad. <laughs> there you go. So like you just, you can, you know, you you can go ahead and use that as your Star Wars name. All right. Let's, let's move on (laughs) anyway. So that's, that's
0: Christmas. That's, that's the Christmas stuff coming up, which is going to be great. Um, let's talk now, I think about what's going on around the world of business. So kick it off. Something big happens in this last, last couple of weeks. I think it's big partly because I'm into, um the brands that are associated with this point but tom ford one of the one of the most iconic uh fashion designers if you want to call it fashion icons of the last decade probably last two decades actually because he started his business in the late sort of 2000 and so 2006 2007 so that time time um sold for i think it's just under 3 billion dollars sold his whole fashion empire to estee lauder now if you know Estee Lauder, Estee Lauder is one of those iconic brands in the, especially call it the cosmetic um, area for the last century. So what was interesting to me about this was not so much it was like a massive exit, right? Which I talk a lot about, you know, anything in the, in the 10 figures in the billion dollar range is big. It was the fact that you've got a personal brand, a business that's 100% called Tom Ford, right? Yeah. Getting sold to another personal brand, which is Estee Lauder. And some people say to me, and I get this quite a bit, oh, you can't scale and exit a personal brand. And if you just kind of look around, and this is just one example,
1: you can. Yeah. I think, I think, I think Ford has also done a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if <we just> think, <laughs> That's right.
1: You know, or Dyson. or I mean, I'm not saying that they've all exited or whatnot, but, but there are a lot of there are a lot of brands that are built around the leader and uh I agree. And have, have the person's name, you know, hewlett Packer, like I mean we could just keep going. It may it may be more of an old school thing. But uh I think it's definitely yeah, there though, something.
0: isn't it? I mean when you, I think where people get confused in this this sort of um world of um direct response marketing where they're out there kind of doing we talked already about funnels and stuff like that. You kind of have this idea that you've got these big personalities that are going out there as influencers right? So they've got social media followings and Instagram, you know, millions and whatever else. And people are kind of confused about whether they can sell that. Whereas Tom Ford, Estee Lauder, or, you know, you could argue that they have a whole range of products where their brand name is across them, but they've got products. It's slightly different than have someone who's got a media presence. So it could be, that could be where the confusion lies. You, come on, you're the branding guy. I'm not supposed to know this stuff. This is, you're supposed to know all about this. Wait, was
1: there, but, I didn't, but was there a question there?
0: It was, a, it was a well. It's a, if, I was, if I was having dinner with you and I just sort of said that, and you just sat there for like a minute, I'd go, what the hell's going on, dude? <laughs> you must have a comment on this. You must, you must be able to sit there and go, okay, well, so what
1: is it? Okay, so if we look at something like, I mean, do you know much about Tom Ford or should I educate you? No. I mean, okay. I, I just pulled up his Wikipedia page. I understand that he was he previously served as a creative director for Gucci and, Saint, uh, and Yves Saint Laurent. So obviously he's developed his skill. He's also a filmmaker and a storyteller. So obviously he dabbles in a lot of different things. Um, he uh, launched his brand in 2005 after being in this industry. So he has a network. He has connections. He knows how it works. He's, he's the, the, the magnetic leader who's going to be the person who brings in the finance, who brings in the vision and starts up the team. I think part of the challenge is the difference between those of us who are building uh, uh, personal brands fr- from bootstrapping to those who are building personal brands the way that Bieber can, or Tom Ford can, or um, Ariana Grande can, is that they have done other things to build up the name, the network, and the presence. And then they go, I'm going to launch a personal brand. And people throw money at them and throw resources at them and go like, sure. And then you can just hire the operations. You can hire the product design. You You can just label your name, license your name on top of other people's stuff. I think the reason why I'm struggling to go like, I don't have much to say about it is, is the, the gap, the difference between how most businesses are built on a personal branding side when you're bootstrapping, starting out, and already having the presence and being the person and then having people throw resources at you to make it work is just two totally different worlds, isn't it? Well, you know, okay, so this is, this is where I think about it the where
0: where these brands and, and the other so i suppose industry that comes to mind here is restaurants where you can have gordon ramsay written across somewhere you know gordon ramsay doesn't go to all these bloody restaurants right he has you know a method a process training you know
1: culture values but he, but he does hire the uh, the head chef personally for each one
0: well there you go but but, it, but i could have named any you know, sort of big brand name chef, right? You know, there, there's there's thousands of these that are now out there, kind of franchise. A lot of them are private equity backed now. But the point I'm making, though, is what they've managed to do is they might use their their name as the beacon for a certain standard, right? That you would expect. Remember, a brand is a promise of consistency, ultimately, right? But then they've built processes, products, services, some form of ecosystem underneath now I don't think that idea is alien towards you know an influencer you know who's got like we talk about Joe Rogan for you know he he had a bit of background before he launched his podcast but he's got a whole machine behind what he's doing now is his brand exitable sellable yeah it is because he's licensed the hell out of it to Spotify so so what I'm saying is anyone who is at even an early stage who's maybe having a, a limiting thought around this it comes back to what you build
1: around it Right. I I so I'm going to play devil's advocate here, because the the lessons that I take from from the examples you just gave. So Rogan was a comedian who became an actor. He was on news radio. Wasn't as he the, part uh,
0: of um uh, was it UFC
1: as well? Wasn't
0: he like a commentator later,
1: on that? Later, 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 later. So a comedian who from Boston who was on news radio, uh, which was a TV show uh, with a with um, a bunch of big stars in the in the 90s and was doing really well. Um, until, uh, gosh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was, he was, he was murdered by his wife and the show came to an end, Phil Hartman, oh, wow. Phil Hartman. Ugh. And so oh, he was on gosh. that show. And then, uh, and then he got Fear Factor. He was a, he was a still a comedian and a host of the reality show Fear Factor, which was looked down upon. And through his passion for fighting, he got into UFC and he got into other stuff and he was there along the way. And then he launched his podcast. So so the lesson I draw from this is if you are a startup, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're someone who's an influencer, go out and do stuff and build stuff and become someone. And it makes later, like all that dark work, later people will hand you things and you can, op- you can have the opportunity. So so that's lesson one. Now, on the other side of things, I think we can learn from Tom Ford and, and we can learn from uh, these others, which is you don't have to wait until you're 20 or 30 years into your career to start thinking like they think. So I broke down the like, hey, didn't they go off and do all of this work and then say, I'm the leader, I'm the visionary, give me money, give me resources. And then they're able to scale fairly quickly. Most people are not bold enough or confident enough in themselves to go out and, and and ask for those things and put all the pressure on themselves. So I think two things here: one, let's go out and do some pretty kick-ass stuff to build up enough credibility that people will believe in you. And then two, as quickly as possible, put the pressure on yourself and say, "I am going to do this. I'm going to scale quickly. I'm going to move quickly. I'm going to maybe use some outside money. I'm going to maybe acquire some businesses because the slow." Comes and the and the lack of success comes from just our uh, fear that we can't do it. So that's my take. Let
0: me let me tell you a bit more of the story of Tom Ford, as I understand it, too. Right. So then, and for anyone who's like some huge Tom Ford historian listening to this, you know, <laughs> yeah. forgive me a bit here for the the time <laughs> checks, right? but but he, here's my understanding of of what he did, and it kind of resonates a little bit with what you just said. Right. So. If you go back to that sort of mid two thousands, um, the Gucci brands, which I, I, quite like actually, um, as a brand generally was, was, was going down the toilet for lots of different reasons. Okay. And they were looking for a new creative director designer to come in and reinvigorate the brand. And they went out to all of the names, the people who already had a reasonable profile and everyone just said, no way. <laughs> you know, You guys are gone. The other thing they did is they went out to all the kind of upstarts, the people who didn't really care about that because they were doing their own thing. And they also had a lot of pushback except for one person. And that was the Texan, Tom Ford, who was like, hey, yeah, I'm I'm interested in, but I'm only going to come in if I can do what I want. right?" Which, Which at that point in time, Gucci had been bought by a private equity firm and and they were going in there to do a turnaround. So the reason I sort of resonate a little bit this, with this story is I know that, you know, he was working in an environment that I was kind of in and I was doing turnarounds. And so he was given free reign by these guys uh, to be able to do his own thing. And a lot of a lot of the stuff that you see with Gucci today, even though people have got different views about it, uh, they're more rebellious than they certainly were. They do things that are a bit more ostentatious than a lot of brands was because of what he did. And from that, his name became synonymous underneath the bigger brand of Gucci, but it became so powerful that he could then
1: launch his own brand off the back of it. I love it. So There's a do lot of different
0: think- lessons in that, which I think is quite interesting as well.
1: Yeah. Take the risk, put the pressure on your shoulders, do stuff worth noticing. I love that. So, I mean, the only question I have for you as it relates to selling to Estee Lauder is, and this is all speculation, but, mm-hmm. but why do you think now, like, like why starting in 2005? why is yeah, now it's a good the question. time that he's selling it. It's a
0: really good question. I think I mean everyone has a price, right? I think there's a point where oh yeah. if, yeah, as soon if as someone, you start adding
1: the Bs to the end of things you're like, oh,
0: well, okay. you know, I mean I, I don't know Tom Ford personally, but I, you know, I, I talk about having an end game, right? And I I, I think what I do know about I don't think the deal is 100% complete yet. It's 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 been announced, so it means that it's in certain certain levels of stage. So I would imagine that it's going through. They don't normally announce things like that unless they are Quite progressed. Um, my my sort of view on it is a couple of things. I think there's always a point where you you have to transition from what you've created, right? And and there's a point where that's not always a, an, a, an easy decision. But I think in that world, who you transition to matters as well, right? So so I think there, there's definitely going to be a factor of money. There's definitely going to be a factor of who's acquiring. And then there's going to be a factor of what's, what am I going to be doing next, right? And I talk about that generally. Now, if you break that down into this deal, so there's a, there's a billion dollar number, that's, that's going to be useful. Um, Tom Ford actually uh, had a joint venture in advance with Estee Lauder for all of the fragrance range. So they have been working with Estee Lauder for a few years. I can't remember exactly how many years, but they've been testing the relationship, the culture. And I think that would be something that would probably matter if you've got your name on the end of something. Tom Ford wouldn't want to just be giving his name to someone that he hadn't
1: doesn't and, know. What does Estee Lauder get? And, and sorry for interrupting, but what does Estee Lauder get out of this? I mean, they, they get the that get they get the property, they get the name, they get the brand, they get the product line.
0: Yeah, it's 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 called a suite of brands. Or um, okay. you know, if you look at if if you choose something maybe a little bit less sexy than fashion and and cosmetics, if you look at um, Procter and Gamble or Unilever. You know, they have this suite or house of brands. And Estee Lauder has multiple brands now. So they're doing what most people are doing in the kind of consolidation phase of business. Once you get to a certain level of scale, the only way that you're going to increase growth, increase shareholder value is by acquisitions and joint ventures. Right? You, you, organic growth isn't quick enough in in the context when
1: you become that big. Right? Now, but what we've seen, at least I, I recall headlines from uh, General Mills or maybe it was PepsiCo or others that that over the last year there's there's been this um de consolidation it seems where you know there was this run of big companies acquiring all of these brands and because of brand management or because of I don't know whatever uh, the shareholder balance sheets or I don't I don't even know any of this world but but it Sorry. seems like I've read that uh, that people are spinning off a lot of these things. To they're always them- doing that, though,
0: Mark. So so this is the thing okay. you you always hear about. Usually the acquisitions, and then you don't hear about the deinvestments or divestments, as it's called. But they're always doing it. And and what's happening? What's really interesting is like I've referenced um, on the uh, on the on the show before about how Apple's made heaps of acquisitions over the last three years, mainly to buy talent, which is a, one of the reasons why you do buy companies. They've also you know, got rid of heaps of things that they've acquired. They've closed them down or shopped them off, and so once you get into this this more I call it progressive M and A, right, where you're just kind of doing you're doing deals all the time, you're always cutting back and building, cutting back and building, cutting back and building, and it becomes quite focused and agile as opposed to this big thing, right? So, you know, to finish off the the Tom Ford piece, right? And I think this is this is just interesting for anyone who's looking to potentially build something and sell it too, which I talk about. Is he, he's he's done a joint venture, right? He's tested the relationship. I always say that you know the best way to sell a business is to partner with your acquirer well in advance. You learn a lot, and it can be an easier process. So he did that. And then the other thing, from what I've heard, is he's going to stick around for three years and uh, be the creative director, which is his earnout, right? You know, uh, I think there is a bit of a risk then. If he really is that involved, if he really is the guy behind Tom Ford, and there's a question mark around, you know, maybe he checked out ages ago and he's got great people underneath him. You know, what happens to the brand after it gets totally integrated into this bigger behemoth? And who knows? Who knows? Sometimes brands become better. Sometimes they, they don't. It's one of those things that we just have to watch and see. I can't wait to see what happens now. You've just, you you've just hooked <laughs> me into the story. I'm going to watch now
1: Tom Ford and Estee Lauder for the next few years.
0: Well, check it out. I I I like his um I like his brand. I think what he's done is good, and I like some of his stuff. So that's probably why I'm more interested. But let's move on. Let's move on to on the the other side. (laughs) Our good friends. Who (laughs) are we going to talk about now, Mark? Who should we talk about?
1: On on the other side of acquisitions, you know, we're hoping we're we're rooting for Tom Ford. We're rooting for Estee Lauder. Now, on the other side, there's been a a bit of a dumpster fire for the last uh, six months as it relates to Elon Musk and Twitter.
0: Oh (laughs) gosh. Oh, so you know more about this than I did. This is going to be quite interesting because I, I read the headlines here, and I'm yeah. I, I've got some questions. But just just unpack this for us about what's
1: currently going on in the Elon Musk world. Well, <laughs> listen, I'm going to stay super high level because it it, it everybody's obsessed with it. Um, I think there's a huge media push to try and watch him fail. But um, so so I haven't commented on this. I I think that everybody is talking about this, but there is one there was one post. That I read a few weeks ago on Reddit that I thought was so illuminating, and some lessons that I took from this. And and so we all know that that Musk, you know, purchased purchased Twitter when when the world was very different in in early 2002, different inflation, different different economy, uh, you know different energy prices. Like it was just, can, can you remember what last spring was like? It was like so. <laughs> was I, I can't remember. World, the, the, it's
0: called the COVID vortex, as far as I'm concerned.
1: I didn't even. So yeah. many different things. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but so, so I'm not going to even comment on what's going on with the specifics of Twitter, because but, but here's, here's something that I found very, very interesting. Now, this can't be validated because this is a post that I found on Reddit, but, but even if this post is not true, I think it speaks to a truth that, that, affects, uh, that affects all of us as leaders, as business leaders. So uh, number one cat winner on Tumblr... I don't know who this person is, but number (laughs) one cat winner on Tumblr shares this story. They say, and I'm going to I'm going to shorten it up for us, that they were an intern at SpaceX years ago when SpaceX was a much, much smaller company. Um, This is what they write after Elon got hair plugs, but before his cult of personality was in full swing. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a a way to timestamp it. But but here's what he said. Here's (laughs) here's what they said or he or she said at SpaceX. Elon was basically a king child. Uh, He was an important figurehead who provided the company with money, with power, with PR, but didn't have knowledge or, frankly, the maturity to handle the day-to-day decision making, and everyone knew that. He was surrounded by people whose job was essentially to manipulate him into thinking he was making good decisions. Managing Elon was a huge part of the company's culture. Even I, a lowly intern, would hear people talking about it openly in meetings. People knew how to present ideas in a way that would resonate with him. They knew how to creatively reinterpret or ignore his many insane demands. And they even knew how to stage manage parts of the physical office space so that way it would appeal to him. The funniest example of stage management I can remember is this dude in the IT security team. He had a script running in a terminal on one of his monitors that would output random garbage matrix style. So it always looked like he was doing important computer things to anyone who walked by his desk. Second funniest was all of the people I saw playing World of Warcraft uh, at their desk (laughs) after 5 p.m. who did it in the office just to give the appearance that they were working late. People were willing to do that at SpaceX because Elon was giving them money and hype to get into outer space, a mission people all care deeply about. The company also grew with and around Elon. There were layers of management between individual employees and Elon, and those managers were experienced experienced managers of Elon. Again, I cannot stress enough how much of the company's culture was orientated around managing this one person. Here's the lesson. Twitter has neither of those things going for it. There's no company culture. There's no internal structure. No one is managing Elon. And I think for the first time, we're seeing what happens when people actually take the man seriously and at face value. Worse, they're doing this little experiment after this man has had decades of success at companies that dedicate significant resources to protecting themselves from him, and perhaps he's too narcissistic to realize it. I found that to be the most interesting part of this entire saga, which is when you have success after success after success, which no one can argue he didn't. But when the company culture and the company resources, and, and when this visionary man, who we can't argue that he's not a visionary man and he's not, um, and, and, and like as a visionary, your job is to bring in money and to bring in PR and to bring in culture and to bring in team. But when you build the entire team around managing him to make sure that stuff still happens, and then you parachute someone like that into a totally different environment, I think what we're witnessing is just this clash of cultures. What are your thoughts on that? Wow
0: firstly that's a that that's good researching i <laughs> i kind of want to if anyone's worked for any of elon's businesses in the past i'd i'd like them to kind of shoot us a note on linkedin or something just to kind I would of validate love to validate
1: this but yeah cuz
0: it it kind of feels right from what you read but again we don't know we haven't been in that sort of thing but when you sort of you know what my reflection as you're talking is obviously elon gets a lot of press right now but a lot of the really successful in terms of like they've done huge things i kind of wonder what the cultures are like in like a branson world or a jobs world or maybe back to henry ford world you know years i I kind of wonder if you have to be a bit like that when you're in creation right like starting something Right. Versus going into something and scaling it. Cause, cause often the stuff I would go into would be existing cultures, existing processes. There's a great book uh, around the turnaround of IBM by Lou Gershner, where his approach to getting that business firing again, which is an incredible turnaround story, is not one of force. It's one of, you know, basically playing in the slipstream that's already there very very different approach than how elon has kind of you know walked into twitter and fired people and whatever so yeah i mean i suppose the question for you do you do you think and this is a a personal opinion as opposed to do you think that he'll be successful with twitter
1: uh i i i think he will as long as the press or the cult of elon are on his side and, he, and here's why. I have never really actually been a fan of his. And it goes back to uh, a documentary called Revenge of the Electric Car 2. So the first documentary, the Revenge of the Electric Car, was this early 2000s documentary about how the oil industry and government basically killed the progress of electric cars in the early 90s. Okay, cool. You know, it's, it's interesting, whatever. But Revenge of the Electric Car 2 followed Elon Musk, the CEO of Nissan, and a small independent company. And they profiled these three people. They profiled, can Nissan launch the Leaf? And what does a huge corporation look like? Can Elon Musk actually turn Tesla into a company back when they were struggling with getting the roadster out? And can this small independent company refurbish these cars? And so they profiled these three people. And the reason I didn't quite understand or like Elon at the time, and even from the documentary, is what we're seeing kind of now with Twitter, is is who he was then. He he would just say like, "This is what we're gonna do," and nothing was going right. And he uh, he he went back to people who purchased the car early in advance and said, I, "I now need another twenty grand from you." And they're like, "Wait, what? We like, you're not only a year delayed, you've you've already asked us for more money, and you're now you're even asking for even more." And he's like, "Yeah, or, or we're going bankrupt. So give me more money, or you're not getting you know, or, you're not or lose what all. you've put in already." Yeah. 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 And then it was delay and it was delay and it was. And I know he was trying to do the quote unquote impossible, right? Like, but, but if we go back to 2011, 2012, 2013, if, if you go back and look before Tesla really took off with, with the three and stuff, people did like his sh- He was losing money and he was making weird decisions and shareholders were questioning whether it made sense for him to be the head, the helm of the company. So to answer your question, uh, I think that it takes a certain type of ambition and a certain type of creativity and a certain type of thinking to do really big, bold stuff. We see this with musicians. We see this with authors. We we see this with artists. With athletes, it takes a certain type of competitiveness and a certain type of ambition and a certain type of discipline to do really cool stuff. And in business, when when you're a visionary or you're a startup person, it takes a certain type of thinking. And so I don't know why we expect people to change. So if someone is uh, the artist who, who you know uses... <laughs> I don't know if we want to talk about Kanye or not, but if someone is an artist who uses a certain type of thinking or a certain type of statement or a certain type of craft to get them to be bold enough to do kind of what in their world, even in a small pushing past their limiting self-beliefs, take these big swings and these big risks and make these big statements. And then suddenly now they have the pressure of everyone watching them and they continue to do that. I don't know why we expect them to stop doing that later.
0: <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like- well, I, I also don't think we should then expect them probably to fail because like, you know, I, I don't know much about Kanye. I know a lot about Michael Jordan. And, sure. and anyone, there's this, and, and to some extent, Kobe Bryant as well. If you kind of, if you kind of study... Uh, the best in the world at anything. Um, They're usually not the nicest people to be around. They're they're not not usually tolerant of mediocrity, right? They have extremely high standards. And people in the moment can judge that and hate it and not be there. And, you know, some of the, the things that were reflected in what you read out before, but if you look back, You know, from the 30,000 foot view over history and time, they created big things or they moved, you know, they changed
1: the world in certain ways. But but let's let's use, okay, let's use Jordan as an example. Jordan uses his competitive spirit to, because he wants to beat his brother. That's what got him into baseball, right? He wanted to be better than his brother and he wanted to beat his brother at basketball. Then he gets into basketball. And then he gets on the, you know, he does really well in college and then he does really well with the Bulls um, and they start to build a team around him. And he's extremely competitive, like possibly the most competitive man I've ever seen speak. And if you recall, like, I don't know if anyone's seen, if any of our listeners have seen The Last Dance, a great documentary, um, but at a certain point, uh, his gambling comes up as an issue. Like, you know, the press love him and love him and love him. And then suddenly there's this wind that he's gambling a lot. Because how can we expect someone who is so competitive that he wants to win at everything to suddenly start golfing and not want to be super competitive and make it fun and interesting or go to the casino and not make it want to be fun and interesting for him, right? Like, and, and the best quote, I think, from that whole documentary is, uh, is like, you need to understand, like, we may be uncomfortable gambling 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 grand on a, on a golf game, but, but to where he was with his wealth, that was what it took just to make it interesting. Well there's, so this there's is a, what i'm talking about with character, right? Like we Well there's a
0: book we, though. It's interesting like, you know, people talk about The Last Dance because i think that was obviously it's on Netflix and everyone kind of watched
1: it. It's a, it's a it. bit of revisionist history, isn't it? <laughs>
0: well, if you go back, there was a book. And i forget who wrote it, but he was um, i believe he was like a Chicago news journalist, and it was called The Jordan Rules. And yes. it's yeah, yeah, that that really and if you yes. read that book, and I read that book, we're talking, that was that was kind of right around the time that he was at the top of his game winning everything. Yeah, it talks about how he treated for. Yeah, it talks about how he treated people, right? You know, in terms of if you were if you if you were in his um, you know, a little bit like Elon Musk, right? We come back to that. If you were playing along with the way that he saw the world, you know, you, that was great, you were fine, right? It was kind of like you were a yes person within that Jordan experience. But if you, were, if you were anything outside of the standard that he set or the expectation, that was it, right? And I think just to draw a line a little bit on the Elon Musk piece, you know, back, you know, is he going to be successful, is he not? You know, is what, he, is what he's doing the right thing? I kind of admire some of it, right? And the bit, the bit that we haven't talked about, right, because Elon is such a big name, we haven't talked about Twitter, right? I mean, you know, from what I've understood, it's not a very well-performing business. Right, so, so you've got to look at it from the standpoint of he's going in there and he's making a huge amount of disruption to a business that's not performing anyway. Now, he may not be the person who can sit there and stabilize the carnage after he goes in there and does his thing. And I've, I speak to this from a reasonable level of experience because I've seen this playbook played out multiple times in private equity. They'll send in a person. And there's a guy in particular I won't name because we used to call him the hatchet man. Um, but you send in a person who is just going to go in there and tear the place apart because if that doesn't happen, there's not going to be enough. It's like the cyclone going in, right? It's got to go there and rip up all the old stuff to, to, to get something to be rebuilt. But then that person's only in there for a short amount of time, right? Because they can't be because they, they, they tear things up so much that you've got to put someone else in there who can rebuild, and I wouldn't be surprised here if, 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 you know, Elon's not a stupid guy. He's got good advisors around him. He's going in there doing all of these things with a certain amount of calculation, and then he'll, he'll walk out and they'll rebuild. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised in the next five years or so if we see Twitter become
1: a hugely different business, but a much more successful one because of all of that. I think that's really shrewd and that's really smart, and that's why when you asked, will he be successful or not? I I think it comes down to the narrative. I think it comes down to whatever, you know, the the winner of the war is the one who gets to dictate history. Right. So uh, I think, I think it all depends on how long we give it and the narrative we can attach to it. Yeah. Well, exactly. Like no
0: one looks at Jordan these days after the success of what he created of those six championships and kind of remembers much around the Jordan rules, you know? So it's the same thing. Okay, so now we are going to talk about a bit of a business theme and some tips and advice for everyone listening. And we have a question that we're going to go backwards and forwards on, aren't we, Mark? So do you want to pose
1: that question and uh, we can give our <laughs> our views on it? Sure, sure. So so I was I was thinking about this because we are you know we're coming up on New Year's right year end and it's a time of reflection. I always love it because I like to look back, but I also like to look forward. A lot of people are making plans, and so. I have watched your journey over the last twelve months, and you have transformed your business. Uh, I've seen you grow in all kinds of amazing ways. And actually, some of the best advice I received this year came from you. No, and so really? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so I was. That's not even flattering. You're too kind. You're far <laughs> too kind. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. But that's your Christmas but, gift to me. You're welcome. But here's the question I have for you: What is the What is the biggest business lesson that has made the most transformative impact on your business that you learned this year? What is that, Nick? For you?
0: Oh, okay. And this is in real time, guys. So this is not rehearsed. (laughs) So I have to think it through. Uh, Let let me. What I. What I'll do. Let me explain kind of what's happened for context for people listening, and and from that I'll draw out the answer because I actually need to kind of almost replay it a little bit in my own head to kind of get to it. So. So I have I have different investments as people know, but I have a core consulting coaching business, which come which actually originated really off the back of the podcast when it used to be called Scale Up Your Business. And the whole idea was about going into companies and and helping them scale. What's what's been interesting this year is sometimes when you're starting a business, and this is my reflection, because I'm not a startup guy, right? I would never was, you know, I would go into businesses and work on foundations and and fix them, right? Is you become very insular, right? You just look at what's around you, right? You don't look out wider into the world. And I and I I'll be honest, I think I got myself into that trap a little bit. Like I was kind of looking at kind of all the things around that I was doing and getting so much into the detail that I was starting to build a bit of a Frankenstein's monster (laughs) around that. So I have yeah, you know, I had lots of people wanting to come out and work with me, which is a great thing. But they weren't really the people that I I get a lot of enjoyment helping. And actually, to be frank, they're not the. the I'm not the best person to help them. Okay, and that was the real lesson, the real opening. And what I what I did is I I, I took my own advice about getting into some different rooms, going to some different environments, and just being a little bit more kind of external in my in my approach to kind of where where can i really help right you know where where is that and i asked people's advice on that as well so i kind of got some some feedback and that's where the focus on helping people kind of exit really came from now i've been doing exits for years i've been doing acquisitions for years but for whatever reason i forgot about that a little bit in the journey from starting a business right i forgot about that actually and the ultimate thing that gives me the most enjoyment is when I help a business owner be able to create something valuable enough that they can, you know, whether they exit it by selling it or they choose to, you know, bring someone in to run it so they can go and do other things. Like there's nothing that gives me more enjoyment than helping someone do that. All right. So that was, that was the reflection that I had from looking out wider, getting into some different rooms, starting to speak a little bit more in different environments as well, and asking for some feedback from people I trust. And so, so as I started to narrow down and focus on just helping people build exitable companies, high-value exitable companies, uh, the consulting part of my business has almost quadrupled in size.
1: That is bananas, right? The, 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 fact that, the fact that at this time last year, you were still trying things, still figuring things out, not quite sure what would work, bouncing from thing to thing. Um, I recall us talking about the fact that in in January of of this year, so about 12 months ago, you were just launching this new program and testing this new thing and trying this new thing here and there. And then by mid-summer, mid-year, just six months later, you've you've cut a bunch of stuff. You've narrowed down your focus. And then by the fall, it's like, oh, this is the thing that everyone needs help with, that everyone wants help with. And I'm going to triple down on this one thing. That's right. I I love that because, one... It, it shows that it takes time. It, t- it took 12 months to figure this out, but, or nine months or six months or however long it is, but it takes time. It takes a willingness to try things and it takes a willingness to self-assess and cut things out and, and to focus. So what, what a, that's, that's the lesson I took watching you over the last year. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and you know it, it started with... Because we, we, were, we were, you know, and, then, and for those who haven't heard Mark and I before, we were on Clubhouse a lot, <laughs> running rooms. <laughs> and we were doing lots of stuff on M&A, but it was mainly around acquisitions and, and all that sort of thing. And if you think about the content that we were delivering in, in that environment to what I'm doing now, obviously there's a link. It's not like totally different stuff, but it's just a different level of focus on it. And a couple of things happened just to finish off. So we did that. Then obviously I got to speak on Matt Andrew's stage, which was really cool. You came down to watch that, which was amazing. And that was the first time that I put out there this idea of how you can sell your business for life-changing money. So that was September, just over, what are we now? So we're December now. So we're talking, what, 15 months ago. That was the first time I put it out there. And then from there, I just
1: consolidated, consolidated and consolidated from that point. But anyway, so anyone, I'll finish. I don't know if I'm giving too much of the secret sauce away. But what's remarkable is when is is you as an offer or a business or a position, when you're helping people with acquisition, like when I first met you, you blew my mind. I, I'm a startup entrepreneur, I'm a service-based entrepreneur. And, and so the idea of growth through acquisition blew my mind. Um and so you would be introducing your product, your service to people who hadn't considered it before, but because we haven't considered it before, we're, we're earlier in our businesses perhaps, or our businesses aren't quite ready for that life-changing money, or it's just it's an, an earlier type persona, an earlier type entrepreneur. By simply shifting to the exit side of things, you're totally filtering down the people that you're working with, and you're not introducing them to anything other than helping them actually get closer to achieving their goal. And so, by doing so, you're actually moving, you're, you're filtering out way more the type of people you're working with. You, it's very clear whether they're in a position to potentially exit over the next 36 months or not. And, and that one change, that one change in focusing from an acquisition and, and, frankly, blowing my mind and being like, what? I didn't even think of this way of doing it, but I was, I'm not ready to do it. I'm just, I, I'm so used to running business a certain way. Yes, it's a huge impact on me, but I'm not ready to the life changing exit. It just—it's like—it's so nuanced and yet so amazing. I was so happy for you. That, <laughs> Thank you. So I don't know if I just shared way too much information. No, 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 no. I, I, I think the it.
0: lesson, and I, and I'll finish my piece here and then ask you the same question in a second. But the, the lesson here, the the big lesson here, I think for everyone listening, is this: y- you can read every sort of more recent progressive book on marketing, and they all say, you know, the the was it the the riches are in the niches, or I hate that term, but the, the idea is the more that you niche down, the more you narrow your focus to work out who you can really help with whatever tools and experiences that you have, the quicker your business will grow. And no one wants to do it because it feels like this, when you go narrow, you're, you're becoming smaller. And if, if I only go after this one, this one type of individual or company or whatever else, my business is not going to grow. The reality of it is it will. But it will only do that if you're disciplined enough to stay in that lane, right? And you can actually solve the problem. There's usually one big problem that sits within that frame, right? And as long as you can identify that and you can actually solve that problem, that's when you'll start to get that success. Yes. Yes. Which, so, which brings me to the lesson that you taught me. So, oh, uh, so, so, so you can actually use the lesson I taught you as the biggest lesson of 2022, it, it is, because it's actually oh, been wow. reinforced
1: by a bunch of other people too. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad I was the origin. Uh, <laughs> so, so earlier earlier this year, because we've been going through a bit of a pivot at my agency, and, and, uh, but earlier this year, we were launching a new offer and a new product. And uh, you and I, in February, jumped on a call with, with my COO, my integrator. And I was walking you through the business plan and all of these things. And you said, Mark, this all sounds good. Um, go ahead and get some clients. I was like, I was like, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I know. I know. I know. I know. I need to do that. Yeah. Um, but, but here's the vision and here's what I'm building and here's the structure and here's how it's going to work. And it's, I'm so excited about this new offer and blah, blah. blah. And, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Go out and get some clients. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, I got you. I got you, Nick. That, that's cool. And you're like, yeah. And so I, I have this structure and I have this business plan and I'm thinking what's 24 months and 36 months and I'm doing all this visionary stuff. Right. And it's awesome. It's awesome. On paper, it's the most amazing thing. And you're like, go ahead and get some clients. And so I agree. I need to go out and get some clients. I got to figure out this new offer. And then I start talking to people about it and I realize, oh, um, I'm not explaining this the way that I thought. Like, it's just not hitting people the way I thought. And then in April, we're talking and you're like, hey, have you got clients? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, go out and get some clients. I'm like, right, right, right. Okay. So I start talking to more people about it. And, and, you know, and then fast forward to July, and it's like every single month that I'm going out to to follow your advice. Just go out and get some clients. Like this should be easy. Go out and get some clients. I'm realizing that that my offer, my my value prop, my target, my pricing, like it just continued to niche down and down and down, similar to what you're saying. Um, and by July, I'm like, we have got something amazing. So I'm hearing from everyone how amazing this is. I'm presenting it. I'm speaking to people, and and what have you. But I wasn't asking for the business. I was still, I was still, I was still, um, running it by people and everyone agreed. It's amazing. Everyone agreed that it's awesome, that it's different, that it's amazing. But, but deep down inside, I was still a little worried that maybe the team, the structure, the approach, maybe it won't work. Maybe, you know, and so I, I, I was like, you know what we need? <laughs> I need to keep building. I need to keep building operations. And I need to keep building the process. And I need to keep building the value prop. I need to keep building the... Like, I'm just playing in my sandbox, right? I'm just building sandcastles. And so I'm speaking to another person who's, who's scaled a lot of businesses. And you know what he says? Mark, just go get some clients. Just like, just go sell this thing, right? Like, like you've got everything. Stop playing around. Just go sell this thing. And I was like thinking, huh, Nick told me that in February. <laughs> and so And so each time that I was reminded to just... Go out and get some clients for this new offer, or if your business is flat, just go out into a different market. Just try a different persona. Just go out and get some clients. What it what it forces you to do is to not only practice, you know, the positioning and the offer and the pitch and whether your close your close rate's good and all of those numbers and all that stuff that we get caught in the systems of, but it just forces you to know like whether someone will pay for it or not. Will someone will pay what you believe you're worth or not? And what are the objections that continually come up time and again that you can easily overcome? And it just takes everything from the theoretical and makes it real. And so uh, I'm very proud to say that I followed your advice eventually. <laughs> but but I, was, uh, I was on a call the other day uh, uh, with, with a friend and we haven't spoken in about eight months. And I said, what are you up to? He said, "Oh, you know, in the new year, I'm writing a book, and I'm setting up this thing, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and he's listing all of these things, like like all of these amazing things." And I said, "Oh, hold on, hold on." I said, "What do you want? Like, what do you want to do?" And he goes, "You know what? I just want to help people. If I could spend all day, every day, coaching people, that would be the life." And I said, "Why are you writing a book? Why are you working on marketing? Why are you working on advertising? Like, I already know." that you are an amazing coach because you've coached me. I already know that, that no matter, like you can't build something at scale if you haven't done it with a lot of people before. I said, why don't you just go out and get 10 coaching clients? Like, why don't you just start coaching? And he's like, well, I've, you know, you got to build a system and you got to do no, no, no. And I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. Just you're talking to people every day and you're giving them advice for free because you don't want to be the one, you don't, you don't want to offer coaching services. You don't want the, the weight on your shoulders. You're worried you won't deliver. Why don't you just take all the people that you're talking to and helping them for free and say, if I could give you benefit, 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 and it would take a certain amount of time, and on the other side of it, you would be outcome, 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 would you want help with that? And he's like, uh, okay, guess what? His first day, he closed two clients. There you go. Well, <laughs> there's, was, there's, there's, there's a really the simple- advice, which, is, which is just
0: just go out. Well, there's a simple phrase that I say to people who don't do this because everyone does. Everyone does what you did, right? And 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 you learn by the pain of it. Yeah, pain. Um, It's it's very simple. It's and I learned this from a couple of different people. But the first the first thing is make more offers,
1: get more no's. Yeah, I see it as like as like shots on net. I'm not a huge hockey person or a basketball person or whatever, but I do know that statistically, like if if you like hockey. Ice hockey, um, the team that has more shots on net yep. typically is more aggressive and typically will outscore. Yeah.
0: And, and that point, the point of getting those is super important. So I, I've, I've got a, a, we're doing something at the moment as we, um, as we ramp up a campaign. And I was looking at the data. We have everything mapped, right? And I was looking at the data and we had all these people who'd shown some interest. And then I just said, okay, where's the follow up? How many times have we gone back? Right, because they'd said yes and then they didn't do something that we wanted them to do and like blank stares through the zoom what and i said okay so here's the deal because we've got like lists of people who have kind of shown some interest i said where we've got 25 people on this list next week i want that to be five right there's only five left that haven't come back to us and i want to see 20 no's yeah 20 no's the issue yeah, now don't annoy them don't like you know every day go out there boom 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 but there's a point you know you don't you've got to ask if you're out there so subtly going you know putting some value out here and what. there's a point in time where you have to be brave enough to ask and and the thing the other reflection right because we've got a few questions to do before we finish up the other reflection for you i think it's interesting is everyone will always tell you they like it <laughs> yeah They always will. Oh, it's great. It's the best thing. I've never heard of this before. It's the best thing. Amazing. And then they go, great. Give me 50 grand. And they're like, Uh, uh, Because people don't like conflict generally. And people don't like to upset people they like. Right? That's where, like, you know, I was relatively honest with you. I was like saying, dude, just go and sell. Because every problem in your business, right? Every problem in your business can be solved by having a front end of leads coming in. Right? You know, oh, I can't deliver them. I can't service them. Put your prices up. Oh, I, well, oh, okay. Well, then, then I haven't got the people. You've got money, though, because you're making money, because you've got all these leads coming in. Go and, go and build a team, right? So it's the number one. People say cash flow is the biggest issue in business. It's cash flow, but it's cash flow because you're
1: not selling enough. Simple as that. Thank you. We do have, in just the last few minutes, we do have a few listener questions. And okay, let's, so, let's do a
0: quick fire on these, because I know we're going to have a hard stop. Otherwise, people are going to get sick of our Christmas special. People <laughs> want to go off and get their turkeys ready.
1: Okay, here, here you go. I'm going to hit you with these questions nice and quick. We're going to do rapid fire. So we got uh, Johnny from Australia. He, he's from Bondi Beach. Didn't you live there? Um,
0: oh, Bondi. I lived in Bondi I'm, for a number of years. I used to surf. This is true. I used to surf every morning before going to work. It was a okay, great time That, my that life. sounds
1: like the life. And now you live in the UK. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, how can someone starting out justify investing in a personal brand? Oh, that's, a, that's, more of a, that's potentially more of a me question. Do you mind if I take this one?
0: You take it. Do a quick fire. So give, give him yeah. in like, let's, let's
1: go boom okay. and like give them so, some insights to help. Go so for. how can someone starting out justify investing in a personal brand? Here's what I would tell you. If your business is built on you, we talked about Tom Ford earlier, right? But if your <laughs> business is built on you and your money and your wealth and your success is, is tied on you, then a personal brand is valuable to you. You need to level up your game. You need to figure out how you can do that because over the long term, you know, it's like SEO. Investing in SEO is a really long game. Or Nick, you always talk about the like the oven, right? Your brand is an oven. It takes a really long time to heat up, but then when it's when it's heated up, it stays stays warm. Your microwave, beep 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 boop, right? Instant power, right? Advertising is instant power. Sales direct response is instant power, but Suddenly, it goes beep, 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 and turns off. And now everything is cold. It's stopped working. And so in today's world of like, hey, I can run ads, and I can do this, and I can do that. So investing in your personal brand, meaning time, or resources, or money, or effort, you are the product. It will serve you for life. If you get better at speaking on camera, guess what? It'll make you better in pitches. It'll make you better in presentations. It'll make you a better speaker. It'll make you better one-on-one with people for coaching. It'll make you better 10 years and 20 years and 30 years from now. And so like all areas of our life and our business, if you invest in yourself, it's the one thing you take with you when you move from company to company or startup to startup or brand to brand. So why not... Start this is long. On you're yourself. supposed to
0: keep it. You're supposed to keep it tight, Mark. That was like that was like a, a passionate yeah, yeah, this, plea. This would Normally, be ten minutes. So that that's my answer. Right. I hope that helps. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Johnny from Bondi Beach. Uh, uh, all right. Who
1: got? We got a couple more. We Who we got? Rachel uh, from NYC. I want to leave my job and start my own business. What's the first move I should take? This is over to you.
0: Okay. Easy one. Get a coach. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, 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 I'll contextualize it a little bit because I think it's that's like a like a. And I'm not saying you know. A lot of the times, if you're trying to make that level of transition, and I'm not sure if she's been employed for many, many years, but you need to have someone like, I don't mean just like a business coach is going to do that. I'm talking about someone who's going to actually help you make the shift, right? That could be right. a mindset shift. It could be a, a more business practical, practical shift, but like quite often you're going to have to go out of your comfort zone. And if you think about a coach in sport, they're going to take you to a different place. So go out there and find a coach that's going
1: to help you make that transition if you are serious about it. Five months into me starting my agency, I was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, Did not know how to sell, did not know what I was doing. I went out and admitted to someone that I needed help. They directed me to a coach. It changed everything about me. It is the
0: number one thing and people don't want to think, I can't invest, but you're investing in yourself if you are serious about doing it. And that's why it's important.
1: I love it. Okay, one more. Number three, we got Douglas from Wisconsin. Uh, I've spoken to a few business brokers recently. Okay, so this is a question for you. I've spoken okay. to a few business brokers recently, and I've been through websites like Biz Buy Sell. All of the pricing seems out of whack. <laughs> How do you source good deals? <laughs> Douglas.
0: What does that mean? Out of whack. I, I'm assuming whack means like these are very expensive businesses. Uh, I, I God, well, f- firstly, firstly, brokers are great. I've got lots of friends who are brokers, but they're interested in selling a business, right? So it's it's hard to buy a business for a broker. You need to find deals that are off market. And that's a whole different strategy. In fact, go back and listen to the catalog of scale up or scale up your business and you'll find stuff on deal sourcing. Um, but you know the whole the whole thing here about it is, and I teach this too, right? You've firstly got to identify what you're trying to achieve. There are different types of businesses that are going to fill your, you know fulfill what you're trying to do. And the best way to actually go out and source deals is to contact directly. No, no question. And, and you can use VAs to do this. You can send out letters to people's homes addresses. Um, a good friend of mine uses LinkedIn, LinkedIn prospecting. But you have to turn it into a numbers game. So I'll just finish by saying that the way to find good deals is to have hundreds of them. And if you think of it like a sales funnel, you might have a hundred deals in process that you've sent letters out to. And then that might be, you know, getting you down to 30 that look interesting to get you to 10 that will even talk to you, to get you one that's going to be the thing that's the right deal, the right price, et cetera. So that's how I would
1: answer that, Douglas. Great. If, if, uh, if you're listening and you have a question for us for the next episode of scale back, what do people do, Nick?
0: Okay. So I think the best thing, cause we've, we, we basically put this out into social media. We've got a few people come back. Uh, we're going to try and answer sort of three to five questions per episode of scale back. So come out to my LinkedIn. So, so find me on LinkedIn. So you'll find me, Nick Bradley there. You'll see my, my nice picture there. Um, it's got scale up and exits and all sorts of craziness. Um, find me on LinkedIn. And then just send me a private message. And what we'll do is, you know, I get quite a few messages. I've got a team that manages the inbox. We'll choose the ones that we think are the most relevant uh, and give you a shout out on the
1: show. Amazing. So thank you, uh, Johnny and Rachel and uh, Doug for, uh, Douglas, Doug, for um, for responding to the, to the request on social media. Uh, we're going to wrap up in a second. So... Uh, listen, man, I just picture you putting your little ugly sweater on, oh, uh, sipping, ugly. sipping your, your brandy or, or sherry or whatever.
0: <laughs> I just picture- oh, man, it's not that cheesy, but I will tell you that the, the, my wife and I have, because um, we like Star Wars, we, we, we um, established that at the very beginning. We have matching uh, Christmas Star Wars jumpers. Uh, jumpers, okay. Oh yeah, so there's like a Han Solo and Leia- version it's like we have to stand next to each other for the actual um the sort of voice bubbles if you like uh to make sense but we have very i might even put that on instagram just to tease people because they'll laugh there you go oh. so we do we do we are a bit cheesy i think you've you've you know, got that out of me today mr drager i love it all right, let's finish things up. So ha, I hope you enjoyed that, everyone. We've covered quite a lot of ground today. Um, this is, as I said, the episode, just to kind of chill out and relax. And as we get into the happy holiday season, you know, maybe you're walking the dogs or whatever else, I hope you would enjoy this. There's definitely some nuggets in this. I'm thinking back to our conversation over the last hour, Mark, and there are some pretty important points there that people can take away as they're doing their planning. So to finish up, I wanna wish you a fantastic Christmas and new year with your family. And I look forward to us connecting and doing this again in 2023. We'll talk soon. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.